Hello, welcome to The Circuit, episode 6, that we are deeming earnings edition. Hello, Jay. Howdy, Jay. <laughs> hey, Ben. Greetings, greetings, internet. Greetings, internet. So, earnings earnings season has come and gone. I, uh, I'm sure, like you, m- many investor conversations happened it was a flurry of, of intensity. I, I do feel for those on the street. I'm sure you have PTSD from some of those days because it's it's the worst, worst amount of hours I think I could ever imagine working, trying to cover cover everybody in an earnings cycle. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the first few quarters I did it where I was working market hours, the, the, the first quarter was the roughest. But once you sort of like get used to the sleep patterns and push through the suicidal urges, it sort of Mm -hmm. becomes bearable. Mm -hmm. And or coffee, Red Bull or alcohol or some mix of the three, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, All right. So the way that I thought we could go through this as as we were chatting is to break up kind of earnings into categories. So we've roughly broke out kind of foundry, uh, wafer equipment, mobile, so smartphones, uh, PC and then industrial, which includes IoT. I'm sure we could talk a little bit about automotive um, and some of that as well. Um, and overarching sort of goal for everybody's listening is not to get into the weeds of necessarily any one company's earnings, but talk about the macros. What are the takeaways from those categories, the dynamics that hit them, and also what companies are are looking to kind of navigate through uh, what, what was a, a, is a tricky second half to last year, first half to this year, maybe longer into 2023. I guess it just depends. We can, we can talk about that. Um, so let's start with Foundry, obviously TSMC, uh, SMIC, SMIC, and Global Foundries amongst the few that, uh, that we hit over. Um, you know, one of the things that, that stood out to me in, 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 in a number of these was, um, Positive in the diversification of businesses, especially within kind of how Global Foundries is positioning itself and TSMC. Obviously, SMS, SMIC has er, areas that are, are interesting to, to, to watch, including sanctions, right? How much that might hurt and or be, be an impact. But from a, from a fabulous standpoint, you know, you look at this from a long time and, and I was always looking at how much diversification they had across industries. So they weren't over leveraged to one, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the way management kind of talks about it um, as a whole, but, but it looks like, yes, things were challenging. They recognized the macro headwinds, some specific categories, but I do sort of feel like that diversification story stayed pretty consistent, obviously could have been stronger, but that was definitely didn't leave them subject to one industry slowdown where there might've been pockets of growth, growth in the others. So that was sort of one, one thing I saw play out. I, I think it depends a lot on which of the foundries we're talking about. Um, you know, TSMC, I remember when right before TSMC reported, every, everyone I talked to felt like the whole world depended on this quarter yeah. at TSMC. Right. It was really weird. Uh, and the numbers came out like better than expected. Everyone was really worried, but it came out pretty good. CapEx moving in the right direction. Their utilization was had its pockets, but it seemed to be holding up fairly well. But TSMC, you know, the ultimate bellwether for for Foundry looked looked pretty decent, and stocks up since then. Global Foundries, I thought, was um, 
you know, it's good to have long-term uh, agreements in place, right? Yep. They have these multi-year agreements. They're, they're holding up well. Um, and I, I thought SMIC was, SMIC was the, was th- sort of the oddest. Like they, they did fine. Um, but it's, it, I, I don't quite know what to make of it. Um, they, they seem very upbeat on their ability to expand capacity. Mm-hmm. So they still think they can get equipment from someone. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're also, you know, everything I'm hearing from the China foundry side of things is really bad. And SMIC is sort of the, the best of, among that crowd. I mean, they're the only ones who are really global players. The smaller ones are just getting beat up really badly in China right now. So SMIC out somehow escaped that. Um, I'm not quite sure how, but uh, more, more power to them, I guess, or less power. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it the, the questions really keep coming back to, I mean, again, I mean, obviously, right, a lot of China manufacturing is leading edge, you know, SMIC is the closest, I mean, sorry, le, le, um, not leading edge, uh, uh, is trailing edge. And obviously, SMIC wants to be more, more, more trailing edge, but, you know, they're still a bit behind there. Um, and and, and par- part of where... I think you saw a lot of the semiconductor industry make their points around the issues they had was just around a lot of inventory sitting there. And obviously if, you know, if it's a microcontroller or a basic ASIC, which a lot of China manufacturers, people probably did order those in bulk and, and was sitting on inventory. And that was just going to be a, 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 a part that got hit really, really hard, kind of similar to the way that we'll get to when, CPUs and and even to some degree GPUs were hit hard with, with a glut of inventory, so that that didn't surprise me too much. Um, I mean, I just I saw the narrative come in. I don't know if you did around the what what the impact sanctions could have with Chinese manufacturers going into others and concerns there. That that got spun around, but it didn't appear that was huge this quarter. I guess that's potentially more of a of a of a concern for for this year. Um, trickling out 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 beyond i i guess yeah i i, I the, the whole impact of the sanctions is one i don't think we know the answer yet so to let's save that for a future future episode a few months from now we'll see where things shake out because lots of moving parts there yeah and no very far uh, from uh, finished uh, uh, agree did did um I didn't catch. So did did any mention of, or or did you hear any speculation? Because I've heard this that you know TSMC had hiked costs, um, obviously because wafer costs went up, but they were they were, I forget the the number that they were increasing their their cost to customers. But I know that's happened twice as a cost raise. I had heard that in some areas they may have backed off on that and brought it down. I was just, I was just curious if you heard because obviously that's a bomb cost. And if they were feeling capacity, they could lower some of their costs. But I, I heard m- perhaps costs came down, but I never had any, any clarification of that. So, so their, their cost per wafer continued to increase their prices to customers. Uh, I think they actually indicated the price. They were, they were able to get some price increases out, whether that's, you know, they, they obviously didn't give much color or detail on that, whether it was one customer or lots of customers, I, I, I suspect, I, I think that for the large part, they're able, they were able to roll through some price increases last year 
right. and maybe they're trying to do some more and those are getting a little bit more pushback. Um, but I right. think something that's interesting and it will pop up, it'll pop up again in some of the other names where we're actually seeing a lot of, especially in the industrial space where, where, uh, some of the analog companies who have internal fab capacity are raising prices. Um, it's not widespread, but there's definitely that came up a couple times in a couple names. So I think that's, you know, that's a, a long-term theme I've actually been tracking a lot is can semis companies start to raise prices? Cause you know, the world says, Oh wait, semis are valuable now. So doesn't that mean we can raise prices? Right. And, and, and that, and that some of that, well, and and that I think was it, it made sense when there was this massive demand that was happening when nobody could be at parts, right? I think it became clear that they regula- they recognized they had some leverage on uh, on supply because demand you know demand was there and supply was low. But I, that's why I was saying what I had heard was there was some 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 of it did cool down, and I don't think that was leading edge. But but again, right? We knew that everybody who was buying chips was was sitting on a glut of inventory, um, and so I, I I had heard that there was pockets where their costs could have come down, or again, even if short term they were they were offering somewhat of a discount. So again, if a chip was seventy five dollars or $110 before it came down slightly just to help some of balance that. But the, the main point is that they're, they're all reeling and dealing with a, a massive pull forward of spend where we had, uh, we had more, more demand than there was supply. And now it feels like that's, that's easing up. And so I just wonder how much their economics might change to a degree again, if, if things get uh, even more hairy economically. So that was what I was sort of fishing for because I'd heard it. It makes sense, but but yeah, I agree with you. It, whether or not they can continue to increase price kind of depends on what leverage they have, and some of that I think will skew leading edge. Yeah, I, I what I'm hearing is different different than that. Um, I mean, it, it gets to this big unknown question: is what's the economy going to do in the second half of the year? Right. And I, I think certainly from the foundry perspective, they seem. All of these companies seem fairly upbeat about that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I saw, I heard the um, can sort of consistent uh, confidence in call it the second half. I, I w- if we were an economics pod cod past, we could talk a lot about where that's going. But but that is consistent with with sort of what I've heard as well. Um, but again, how much price elasticity do they have? It's it's an interesting it's an interesting question. I mean, in the the example I'll give you is I had heard that um, some of Apple's chips were costing less than they were uh, uh, six months ago. But I don't again have confidence if that was just an example of if there was if there was spare capacity, making sure it got used. When again, you're sitting on a bunch of inventory. Yeah, and and it's Apple, so that could just be you know yeah. Apple's always a special yeah. case. Yeah. Um, all right. So wafer equipment. Um, I know we looked at lamb and ASML as the two. Um, I know I looked more, more closely at ASML's earnings. I mean, obviously when they're gearing up to continue to ramp production and fulfill their, their orders of machines. Um, lamb, I think was, I'll let you hit on that, but I think they were a little bit, uh, impacted from, uh, from sanctions, but but again, in this point where wafer costs seem to be increasing, there again appears to be 
elasticity and in, in, in wafer cost and, and price elasticity, if you will. I think that might have been somewhat consistent um, with at least a few of the names, few of the names we looked at. Yeah, I think so. So Lamb in particular just got brutalized by the Chinese sanctions. Um, China was, I think, 40% of revenue prior to October. And, and, a, and a huge chunk of that was to a single customer, to YMTC, the memory, the memory maker. And YMTC is very much on the entity list, enemy number two or three, high up on that list. Yeah. Um, and, and, so, and, and Lamb had to walk away from all of that. So they took a big hit, their stock's down. That they, they've that management team is, I mean, talk about PTSD. They really they 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 don't sound good. Um, you know, it, it'll turn around. Like, but between between what happened with YMTC and then just the whole mess that's take, taking place in the memory market, they're not in a they're not in a happy place right now. So it's really hard. Right. But that's I, I would argue that's somewhat company specific. If you look at ASML, ASML. Results were very much overshadowed by the agreement that sort of took place at the same time, where the Netherlands right. and Japan both announced that they would comply with the U.S. sanctions. Um, but you know, ASML based in based in the Netherlands had a lot of questions about that. They seemed to, you know, they said all the right things. They're complying, but they don't think it's going to be a big hit to their business. They have a big backlog, especially on EUV, but other places as well. And that backlog actually came down a little bit, but it's still massive massive backlog of business um so they actually they came out of this sounding pretty good Um, again we we don't know uh exactly how the the sanctions will impact them over the long term but they they sounded you know they sounded like a company that makes a machine that no one else can make yeah uh, a critical machine that no one else can make so yep they sounded good and it sound it sounded like some of the commentary I heard, you know, last year, uh, almost this time, uh, April ish, they they had um, some component shortages for some of their uh, their manufacturing. And I feel I, I think I got the sense that that was starting to ease, which means they can ramp production. They're not going to be constrained with the supply constraints that we saw with foreign components. So, did you get to get that sense too that that's eased and and they're not as worried about that anymore? Yeah, I think that's another thread that sort of weaves its way through all of these is there still are sort of spot shortages here and there that are hampering things. Um, But for the most part, they're mostly eased. Yeah. Uh, And there's there's a few companies who are sort of still trying to kitchen sink and throw in all the bad news who really hit the supply chain issues. (laughs) Right. Um, There's a couple of those. But for the most part, it's those sort of supply problems sound pretty muted this quarter. Right. Yeah, I think that's positive, honestly, because even if if time of slowdown allows for more of that catching up for an estimated you know potential ramp within any of these uh, th- these companies, that's helpful. But obviously, that was a huge issue last year that now kind of feels like it's getting a little bit more resolved within some of these pockets, but not not totally solved, um, like you said. So, all right, let's move to. So the, on the mobile side, which is interesting, I mean, there's lots of things you can talk about, not just to the the names themselves, but the category itself. But but obviously, smartphones was a little bit of a of a tricky tricky market. Obviously, down um, 
kind of everybody everybody got hit, which obviously impacted a lot of the the component uh, manufacturers and players in there. Everybody sort of mentioned that 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 uh, it was a uh, obviously a tough compare, um, and mentioned they all tried to speculate we, where we are in the cycle, which I thought was interesting. Um, obviously, there's names here that that got hit a little bit harder um, because of of Apple. Um, and then the broader ecosystem where some of them may have been over indexed with, uh, iPhone <laughs> supply. Um, but yeah, broadly let's, let's talk on, on mobile on a couple, couple things. So what, what, what are a few areas that stood out to you with, uh, some of the major component players in mobile? So I think the, the big topic is still consumer is, is weak. And that's, that's certainly true in mobile. It's true in some other categories as well. And, and that's, that's not so much a sign of impending doom. It's just a function of 21, 22. There was an immense amount of demand pull forward and it, they pulled it from this year. Yeah. And so things are, things are weak. Mobile, mobile is just a brutal sector, but I think we, we knew that, you know, we knew that sort of summertime of last year. We saw that in their September quarter. Yeah. Nobody was expecting great things in December. Uh, so I think for the most part, people were looking for any signs of turning. When, when are we going to bottom? And I think there was a, a bit of a divide among these companies. I think Qualcomm, Corvo, Skyworks all sort of started to think that that we had bottomed or we were going to bottom in this quarter. Uh, a couple of companies said that they would grow in March. It's, March is not a yeah. good quarter. It's seasonally weak for mobile. Right. Um, but there were some signs of like, okay, we bottomed. Uh, but there are others who made it sound like the bottom was a little bit further away. MediaTek in particular didn't, didn't sound as upbeat about the March quarter as some of the others. So there's a lot of uh, a weakness out there. That's, that's my, my one big one. The other two is, you know, there, there's two mobile phone markets. There's iPhone and there's Android. And Apple, iPhone are still, for the moment, unstoppable and did, did well. Uh, and anybody who had a lot of exposure to that tended to do better. Right, so that was Corvo and Skyworks. I think media, uh, Qualcomm has both a lot of exposure on both sides of it, and their results were kind of mixed. They did really well with iPhone. Android is is still a bit of a problem. One one thing that they said on their call that confused me a little bit was they they actually said that uh, in their last quarter they said that they thought that inventory weeks of inventory would de- decrease in the December right. quarter, but right. that didn't happen. Like. So that means the the Xiaomi's and the Oppo Vivos of the world still have a lot of inventory. Inventory, yeah, um, which is you know not great. Um, and we'll see a lot of these names, have re- a lot of these stocks have really big inventory bumps this quarter. Still, still going on. So mobile is not out of the woods entirely yet, but should be maybe soon. Maybe. Yeah, I th- I, I think some some of the questions that I think were interesting was how how much impact. Um, the the high end sort of not strong refresh cycle happened because you know the debate is always obviously that you know the Q4 the holiday quarter is a good higher margin smartphone category sale and then you move into the second you know part of the year being lower margin where you'd expect the MediaTek's and and others to do better where you know they're 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 not in devices with as high ASP. But if if purchases were delayed, because I think that's part of the theory is, well, what was hit was the high end in Q4. Those purchases get pushed into this year. Part of the thinking then is, 
well, how much does that impact the lower parts of the market over the course of this next year if people are then still back buying higher phones and not buying the lower end ones? Because they're going to, you know, the people who buy lower end phones might be hit worse if the economy gets worse. Hopefully it doesn't. And we have said soft landing. But if it gets worse, then obviously, right, the lower end of that market hits. So those are the things I think are really hard to gauge. But that is something I think that could impact those who are more susceptible to pain when the lower, the mid to the lower part of the market doesn't come back. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. It, it's it's confusing too because there's so much. I mean, it's, it's a truly global market, right? And you start thinking about all the end markets for the low end phones. It's it's everywhere. And you know, does a recession in America mean there's going to be a recession in Africa? I right. Again, we're not a, a macro podcast, uh, but I, I think just overall the the handset yeah there's just there, it does it there's a lot of there's still a lot of risk in that sector yeah right? except except for apple like I, I don't know if you saw but the apple apple talked about their share in china i mean they, right. they grew share in china i mean it's just right it's, it's incredible and and that's yeah. it, there's another thing that's important that's happening in china right now is honor which was the, the handset brand from huawei that huawei sold yeah, was- off to a private company yeah, has gained a lot of share in China, right? Yep. But it, they didn't. They they lo- they gave up a bunch of share when when they exited, sort of exited when they had their problems with the government, U.S. government. Apple took most of that share. Now Honor is starting to come back in the sort of the mid range, um, and they're taking that share from somebody, but it's not Apple. So that's an interesting interesting dynamic to watch. There is is how uh, um what's going to happen with Honor. Yeah, and, yeah, and another one. I, and, and actually, another one. While we're on the subject of China, I just want to mention um, there's another interesting dynamic that I, I didn't look at. The trans, there's another company, handset company called, in China called Transient, which nobody in the U.S. has ever heard of because they they sell to India and Africa and Latin America, maybe. And they're they're really very strong in like the bottom end. Like they still make three G and four G phones and you know dumb phones, feature phones. But they're actually now moving up and starting to make smartphones. And I think that's interesting. I mean, they've been doing it for a while, but they clearly are expanding their offering of smartphones now. And I think that's important because it means that the bottom tier of the market, people who have $50 phones, are starting to buy smartphones. And so long term, I think that could be possibly a a helpful trend somewhere in, in this mix to start having a healthier sort of higher value phone down at the bottom of the, the matrix. Yeah. And then, you know, bar- barring the, uh, the sales issues we've had, you know, the last few years, I, I think the, the market was off quite a bit from its peak of, of 1.4 billion smartphones. But if you recall, like, maybe five years ago, I don't know, something like that. Everybody was saying, Oh, it's going to be like 3 billion a year. Once the entire planet gets a, (laughs) gets a smartphone and, 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 you know, and again, it's, that's a fine thesis. Like I, obviously we, we think a lot of people will have smartphones, but to your point, like when the rest of the world who is first time buyers, so really out there, right. uh, Parts of Africa, greater India, other parts of China, um, those are the price points that are coming in, right? Right. So, so you're right. That that could add a add a boost. It's just again, it's not the highest highest margin, highest bomb uh, of devices, but but relevant to a lot of people in that space making you know making components to support the the low end. Yep. 
Um, all right. So PC, which we can kind of talk about server too, um, largely AMD and, uh, and Intel. Um, I'll let you, I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of, kind of two tale of two cities here. We have AMD and Intel both reported same week. Uh, a- AMD did very well. Uh, their data center numbers look pretty good. Their client, so their PC stuff, did did not look so good. Uh, their embedded and all the other stuff actually looked surprisingly strong. All in all, pretty good quarter for them, right? We can, there's a little, you know, there's some some softness around gaming and PC, like I said, yeah. consumer yeah. unique for everybody. Yeah, but AMD AMD looked very good. Intel did not look so good. You, you and I have both talked about this a lot. I've, we both published on it recently. In, Intel is in a is in a very tight spot, and I just to focus on the quarter. Their their client numbers, their PCs, did okay, better than expectations. But people quickly teased apart teased out that what they had done is they they pulled in a lot of demand. They right. they stuffed the channel, as we say. They just sold everything out to the to the to the PC OEMs and the disties. Just gotten everything out there to to goose this quarter, and and that that's gonna that's gonna cost them next quarter, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and data center didn't look particularly good. It made some money, but it's still way below where it was a year ago. Yeah, they're they're so they're losing a lot of share there. Um, they announced they announced a whole bunch of things. They announced they they cut a bunch of products. They've cut networking. Uh, they cut everybody's salary. It's, um, but the one thing they didn't cut was the dividend. That's that's so, correct. <laughs> so, all, all in all, not a great quarter for Intel, and and their guidance for next year just looks really really scary, and I yep. think most people expect it to be even worse than they got it to. Yep. Yeah, I I think you know it, it was interesting. I mean, you could look at look at this from the perspective of. I'll first start, you know, categorically that there was some concern coming into this quarter that perhaps um, a data center was slowing down. You didn't really see an, a drastic just halt of data center, but obviously, um, you know, some of the cloud providers uh, weren't as, you know, weren't terribly, terribly off, but weren't as big as could be right. Growth has slowed. And I think there was a bit of a concern about, um, you know, how, what the impacts that going to have on the, on the chip side. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't abysmal data centers, not dropping off, off the, uh, off the edge, but, but certainly has slowed some, obviously PC got hit really, really hard and, and PCs will probably have a very, very ugly year. And, you know, the hard part for Intel, right, is they got two things that they're trying to manage through, which I think again is, is, is unique to them, not necessarily AMD, right? So there's different different advantages. But one, they have a foundry, right? So they are not just a chip company, they have a foundry. And so they have a high fixed cost model, right? And that's what, you know, they sort of emphasize in this. AMD doesn't have that, right? So you've got one check to, look, I'm just a product company. AMD actually sells at high margins. I don't know how many people know, know this, but they're not the low cost player anymore. They're actually competing in performance and getting really good margins for their chips. Um, Intel's margins dropped and they're guiding another margin drop, which was, in my opinion, listening to the call and then talking to some of their investors afterwards, the most surprising to them was that their gross margin was under under 40%. 
um, kind of a unheard of surprise that that really I think hurt hurt sentiment and overview. Um, but this is again, this is the cost of running said foundry that costs so much in terms of their needed capex to keep funding to get economies of scale back so that they can increase their gross margin. Just complicated problems, and then you compound all of that with. When you were the dominant market share leader, you just have the most to lose. You know, you're you're going to lose that. It's it's going to impact you harder than it does somebody else who's a AMD's a roughly right per quarter eighteen to twenty two percent in either one of those categories, data center or or PC. So fascinating, different dynamics. But but to your point, like this is a for Intel, this is a you know we we need to prioritize and we need to really figure out what it's going to take to manage through and write this ship. And and they just happen to be one of these names that we talk about that just have a lot of dynamics that other companies don't have, which makes it interesting and challenging at the same time to, to analyze them. Yeah. I mean, I, I my, my, the drum I keep beating is they have, they have one task. They have to fix their manufacturing process. That's, that's all yeah. that matters. If they can do that, then, then, then they get to graduate to actually having a whole bunch of other problems, which maybe they can solve. But like, if they can't fix this sort of fundamental manufacturing process, uh, bad bad things are going to happen. And yeah. like, to the extent that they're losing share, like I don't, I don't even understand why they bothered to stuff the channel this quarter. Like, why why create that that friction? Um, it, it's, I mean, I'm sure they had good reasons for it, but like from from a high level perspective. Like, just don't, don't, don't even, don't even waste your time. Like focus on the one thing that matters because nobody at this point, I don't think any investors are really going to pay attention to, to client, to data center, all that stuff. We, we've sort of all mentally just, we know it's on pause. We can't buy it for the fundamentals, the, right? Or the business fundamentals. You, you buy it on the assumption that they can turn around their manufacturing operation. Can they catch up four nodes in five years or whatever? Mm-hmm. And and we we don't really know. We don't know. You know, they, they they said a few things on the call, like some things moving in the right direction. But I don't I don't think we have enough information as outside investors to really get any comfort with that. Uh, and yeah. Until that question is resolved, I think the rest of it is, you know, lower priority. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. Um, do do you sense? I I know you had prior, and we talked about this, but I'm curious if anything's changed since from conversations with other, do you sense uh, in this moment? And I say this because the point I'm about to make is, is not true of AMD. The, they have what I'm about to ask you. Do you sense that um, confidence in management is, is waning for Intel? Uh, Yes. Yeah. I think this, the street is getting a little antsy. Um. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, hard. And, and, and it's, you know, the, the street has a very short term horizon. Mm-hmm. And so you throw out a couple bad quarters, especially one like this one that was really bad. And the street starts to get right. Anxious. I think longer right. term, more serious, long only investors understand the basic problem. Uh, and, you know, I, I think they're, they understand what you just walk through. There's lots of things going on and they understand what I'm, beating on, which is this sort of one fundamental problem. Uh, the, the, the other issue is I think there is a growing chorus on the street of 
of investors who want to split the company up. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that there is that dynamic at the board level too. But I think, I mean, I, I can't. It's hard to speak for the whole street. But my sense is, a lot of people who have been around the stock for a long time or been around semis for a long time know that splitting up Intel is going to be very very hard to do. the The problem is that companies, if the company keeps doing really ugly quarters like this for the next three four quarters, which is probable, they're they're going to attract a lot of really the, the wrong kind of attention. And I think that's I think yeah. it's probably one of the reasons they keep the dividend is if they cut the dividend, it's some people will see that as an invitation to the activist investors to get involved. For sure, I totally and, agree. Yeah, I I but my, you know my take is the activists are are going to be a little wary about this. Like a- activists are generalists by nature, so they don't necessarily understand the complexities of semis. They're just going to take their playbook, which says, oh, let's split the company, unlock shareholder value. Like that's the activist playbook for last decade. And in a lot of cases, it works. The problem here is splitting up the company is is going to be painful and really complicated. And it's going to take you know, a decade to iron out. I mean, that's what took AMD and Global Foundries. It took them 10 years to sort of right size yeah. their businesses. Yeah. And in the case of yeah. Intel, the, the, the fab side of it, the, op, the foundry side of it, like that's a huge expense. So how do you split the company up and still fund the, the fab side? You know, yeah. if you just split it up, you, you really risk sort of stranding the, the, the fabs. Yeah. So I, 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 I think, I think the activists are a little bit wary of getting involved in that. Right. You're, you're uh, right. But in terms again, of uh, two, two yeah. or three, two or three more quarters like this, and it's going to be right. Be very, very hard to hold them off. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you're you're right in terms of how they know the complexity. I mean, obviously, right? If I would almost bet you that if invest if activists did that, almost none of them would want to touch Foundry right off the bat. Right? That's a hard hard investment. I don't know where you get that capital, but like a, a lot of the dynamics that you know we were talking about with the 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 fabulous company or the the foundries out there, it's like. I look at this and I still say, okay, let's just assume that Intel solves the 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 process technology pro, um, roadmap is is in leading edge. I mean, obviously, right? They can still uh, monetize uh, to some degree legacy, but again, we're talking how far back are they going to go? Probably not going to go past seven nanometer. You know, ten nanometer in there. No, their process just wasn't good as good for legacy. So in that case. How how big could I know you and I? I'm just speculating this, right? But I'm just throw, throwing out things. But how, how big could Foundry really be? It's not going to be the whatever 70, 80 billion TSMC is. Is it half of that? Is it a third of that? Like I think the economics for this matter because that kind of tells you how much Foundry revenue is potential there versus how much. Let's say they didn't split. How much does Intel need to still then be making money from chips so that they are a let's call it 70, 80. I don't know. Could they get back to 100 billion again? I don't know. But, but that those economics, I think, matter when their foundry business is not going to be TSMC size. So yeah. So I, I, one, I think it's important to to point out, and this is data that you and I have discussed a lot in the past, which is Intel is tiny. Intel is less than 10 percent of total wafer capacity. And and I remember the first time I saw that number last year, it kind of blew me away. I had to triple check it because, like, I always think Intel is giant. No, they're they're tiny. They're tiny. 
their, their fabs are a tiny portion of industry output relative to TSMC and all the others. And, but, but let's just, let's just go through this thought exercise. Let's say they get through four nodes in five years, right? So it's 2025 and they are, they can get competitive. I, I think the, the, the bull case for that situation is they, they're competitive. They get the, the client and data center business. They start to win back some share and, and the model flips around again, right? You have this high fixed cost, but that means you have really good operating Scale, leverage once right. you start to sell stuff. Right. So, all right, that's like, and, and if they can get the, the manufacturing process, right. Then only then can they really start to build uh, IFS, their foundry business for third parties. So, you can't really start that until 2025 because right, that's, that's when the process works. Minimum. And at, at minimum, right? And then you've got to get yields up and then the, the, the internal stuff is going to take priority. So you're really not talking about IFS being able to even offer capacity until 2026. And, and then like moving a fabulous company to move to a new foundry is a big process. Yeah. It takes two or three years of qualification and testing and going back and forth and and the legal and the IP and the and the PDK and all that stuff. Set aside the fact that like Intel doesn't really have tools to, that, that third parties can use. So I mean, there's like all this sort of very nitty gritty work that has to take place. So I personally don't think IFS can be a real business until 2030. Yeah. Right. So, but if they can get the the process right, then then we can start to have that conversation. Right, right. And it, it's, long, it's long, feasible. I, I don't want to. I, I'm I'm pretty negative, but I don't want to totally discount their ability to turn it around. But it's it's right. a very very long time horizon. Right. It, it, it agreed. And and at the same time, you know, like I said, even even once you do that and you have capacity, and again, right, it's let's call it more leading edge. That's that's not huge scale. Like that's why I keep coming back to. If you're going to have a high fixed cost business, right, which their CFO pointed out has challenges when things are bad and you don't have scale, but you get those economics of scale back. I keep wondering where are they going to get that scale from? They're not going to get product scale again. I mean, the total market for, you know, data center and uh, CPUs is like 330 million, 350 million, something like that. PC is going to hover between 260 and 280 at best, right? Despite what they say about it going back to 300, probably not if, if ever, barring a miracle of growth. Um, okay, well, that's not a lot of scale. You know what I mean? Like that's not, we're not talking a billion chips. So where are you gonna get that scale back from to cover your high fixed cost business and then get back to, I just, I, that's where I really, really struggle. Hence to your point, the only way this matters is if they fix manufacturing and make manufacturing for other people. But again, that's going to require scale to even be a fraction of TSMC's foundry business size. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a, it's just such an interesting problem, but it's always like you think about it and you're like, man, hard times, hard times. Um, Okay, let's move let's let's move on from from them to yeah, to uh in, industrial. You know, interestingly some of I had heard and and a couple of of companies sort of pointed out that that some of the the cost curves coming down for area other areas of the supply chain was actually helping 
um, some of industrial volumes, especially IoT, some build outs that couldn't get components before and now can. And oh, by the way, now they're cheaper because they're sitting on things. So I've actually heard some positives around um, some of the broader kind of IoT infrastructure. Auto, obviously, a couple of companies who are in automotive had some good quarters, but automotive's growing from a very small number of, uh, of of companies growing their content in cars. So that doesn't shock me. But yeah, it was, I, it was interesting to kind of, we hadn't talked a lot about, oh, IoT is growing again because everybody was just solving core compute businesses. This kind of glut is is slowly helping IoT, which I thought was actually really interesting. Yeah. I, oh, that's, you know what? I forgot to look up. That's what I forgot to add to the list is Silicon Labs, right? Silicon Labs is is the poster child for that thesis, right? Because Silicon Labs, a, a few, a year ago, sold a, most of their non-IoT business. And they've been building this very complex, very full-featured platform for IoT connectivity uh, and processing. And and uh, they just had it. They just crushed it this this quarter. I mean, just like huge, huge beat on revenue and EPS, raised guidance way above the street. Uh, and just very, very strong set of results. I mean, more than strong, like just an incredible set of results. Uh, and it's it's yep. been it's been hard. Like they've taken a lot of pressure for for this the, basically the long term bet they made, and it really looks like it's paying off. Um, and I think that's exactly you know part of it is what you just walked through is like they've they've gotten their capacity they they've gotten through the worst of it, uh, and and now they're just seeing they're starting to reap the the, the benefits of that. Yep. Those, they, yeah. That's that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's you know it's like yeah. I said I. It makes sense in retrospect. It's actually not what I saw, but but just to talk about or or see some pockets of life kind of coming back to IoT is good. And then again, those companies who have business portfolios in IoT, um, you know, seem to do well. You know, Qualcomm was in that. They they talked about the IoT business being up. At, yeah. Same, same yeah. with Auto. Good diversification story, which you know, kind of going back to that point. But I thought that was interesting because I, again, I don't know where that goes, but to see some of that life in IoT and make that be a category subject that I think could be good over the next uh, next couple of years was a good one. I, that was wo- woven to, I think, some of some of ARM's earnings, um, you know, that they were talking about in, um, you know, in, in, in license growth, which again, if you're just going to sell to the to the lower end, right, you're not in an arch licensee, you're just helping volumes of chips, which regardless of what margin they get is, is good for ARM. Um, so yeah, I thought that was that was an interesting one. Um, did you have any other takeaways from ARM? Because interesting, I had a couple of calls from investors about trying to figure out or, or, or decipher kind of what, where the spin was on earnings, right. To look good because it seemed kind of, it was transparent, but maybe not as transparent enough, I guess was kind of a question, um, a little bit vague in some areas. I don't know if you had, if you had any deep dive on that. I mean, my my big take was they they repeated a few times that they're still planning to go public this year. Uh, and mm-hmm. last I checked, I I think they have bankers finally, but they they just got bankers recently for that. So my my impression of ARM over the last year or so has been they're super reluctant to go public. I, I think I think they remember being public six years ago, and for whatever reason, that was a scarring that left a mark on their corporate psyche and so they're really really reluctant was to go public now uh, yeah but yeah. I, I think that's i think i think this time let's see if where they list but i think if they list in new york on nasdaq 
and they have a, a, a focus more on the American shareholder base, I think they'll have a much easier time of it. I mean, they, they need to like, they need to get a lot more proactive about their sort of investor relations and their outreach. I think there's an immense amount of questions about what ARM wants to do. Like you said, it would, you know, it's more transparent, but not great. Uh, there's so many things, that, so many easy things that they could be doing right now uh, to sort of advance that, advance the narrative and really, really ease their their life as a public company again. I think, I, so I, I don't think they have to be as afraid of it. I, I get kind of why they are wary about it, but I think that they don't have to, don't be afraid. It's okay. It's going to be yeah. okay. Yeah. I, I think that, and I can totally agree with you in, in terms of the communications on this side. I mean, I, I know from investors I've talked to, there's just a lot of questions around um, licensing businesses or IP licensing business as a whole being being public companies. And I think a lot of the guys I talked to covered them, you know, when they were when they were public before. And, you know, at that point in time, they were 600, 700 you know, million, million dollars a year in, in revenue. So not huge, but obviously licensing businesses are very, very different economics. Um, I, I think there has to be, to your point about investor education, a lot that just goes into why is it a licensing business in this case of RMIP valuable, RMIP useful, and why is a licensing business a good investment in, in the modern age, I guess, right? In terms of all of the scale of opportunity. That, that I think is the resistance, but that I think is actually a good roadshow to go through to try to help people understand the the benefits to this, why it's worth investing in, and kind of what that story is around an IP company, just because there's been stigma on that before. I mean, I, I actually think we're entering into a, a really good time to be an IP company in semis. Um, I don't know specifically for ARM. ARM's got a whole bunch of other stuff going on, but I think in general, there's a lot of favorable dynamics for IP companies. Um, and because as you see more companies build their own chips, they're going to need they're going to need help, right? Every and like look at Amazon or Google, all those companies use a lot of ARM. And we, we talked a lot about this last time with Risk Five versus ARM, but for you know ARM is still very capable and very like ARM cores are still a very important workhorse for a lot of compute. And if you suddenly have twice as many customers. Uh, that's a good thing, right? I mean, you look at the EDA companies. We, we didn't talk about them, but the, the cadence and synopsis of the world have had a fantastic time in the last decade because they're signing up so many new licensees. Um, mm. And so I think, I think, uh, and I think that trend is going to just continue, right? Because there's, there's, if, if you're not a semi company, but you're designing your own chips, there's still a lot of things yeah. you, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. It's hard enough to do just right. sort of the basics, right? And so you're not going to go out and build your own processor core or your own, 30s IO IP, right? You're gonna you're gonna want to license that stuff, uh, and yep. you know, ARM, ARM is in still in very very good position to take advantage of that. Yeah, and, and, and I think you know, the side of their other licensing companies, like sorry, I was gonna say like there are other licensing companies out there, um, like Siva is another one, Israeli company that does DSPs and audio and Bluetooth and has some really interesting AI edge stuff. Similar camp, like they're they've done a really good job of growing their customer base uh, and are sort of extending their product reach and doing some really interesting things. They're in a good place too. Uh, and it's, it's like, I, I think the, the problem is old, uh, you know, the old IP model, the way people think of it is a company like InterDigital, which licenses IP for wireless and mobile stuff. 
where, where they have a, a fairly small number of customers and very lumpy. And so their results depend sort of, did they renew with Samsung this quarter? Did they renew with Apple this quarter? Right, right. Like, I understand why investors don't like that because it's so opaque. But when you're as, as, as broad-based customer bases, diverse customer bases, ARM and SIVA have, that's a really, really different story. There's a lot more statistical averaging you can do over the model. Right. It's much more forecastable than sort of step functions like InterDigital has. And InterDigital is doing fine, by the way, but I'm just saying there's a dichotomy there. I like I like your point about, because I think we both, we, we've hit on this in previous episodes, right? More people are going to start making chips. More people probably aren't going to uh, employ the core designers to the same same degree that, you know, an Apple or, or AMD or Intel or NVIDIA does. And, 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 and not just for ARM, but a lot of the companies that you mentioned, right? The, the sort of under sold story of that is is the services help that they provide as those developments come out right whether that's issues with certification you know there's a lot of time it's not just here it is go run with it there's a, a services component that's actually pretty important and pretty interesting yeah. and that's obviously i think a, an important part of that story to help help people understand um so that, that, that'll be interesting i uh like i said I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting arms ipo to be honest with you it'll make for very very good very good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fingers crossed. All right. So let's, let's wrap on that. Uh, good earnings sort of categorical market overview. Um, maybe we don't, we don't have to do an earnings every quarter, but when it's interesting, we will something to talk about. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye everybody. Um.